Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the LGBT Netflix employees finally held their big walkout yesterday to protest Dave Chappelle and biological science. Only it wasn't big, just a small assortment of people gathered for the demonstration. Many on the right think that the pathetic turnout was a failure and an embarrassment for the left, but I think they're missing the point completely. We'll talk about that. Also, the State Department celebrates National Pronouns Day, which is a thing now. And Donald Trump launches his own social media platform. Is it on its way to wild success or doomed to failure? Plus, the WNBA holds a parade in Chicago yesterday, and, and you have to see the footage to really appreciate it. In our daily cancellation, I must cancel a Republican candidate for a political ad. you got to be careful watching as it may cause a fatal case of the cringe. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So yesterday, after much media buildup and extraordinary hype, a, a small collection of LGBT Netflix employees and their supporters rallied outside of Netflix headquarters in protest of a comedy special. A few dozen people showed up with a ratio of about three reporters to every one protester. It was reminiscent of a Joe Biden rally, both in terms of crowd size and demographic. Netflix itself has over 12,000 employees. Of those 12,000, maybe 12 participated in the walkout. And those 12 had significant support from not only the media, but Hollywood. Various trans and trans-affirming celebrities released statements and uh, videos throwing their weight behind the protesters. Elliot Page, formerly Ellen Page, the Wachowski sisters, formerly the Wachowski brothers, Wanda Sykes, formerly Wanda Sykes, all along with uh, many other celebrities to voice their support for the Netflix employees who were offended because Dave Chappelle said that women have vaginas. There were more... Obscure, obscure supporters on the scene as well. The Daily Beast gives us this story. Uh, quote, Comedian Seven Graham, who is intersex, trans, mask, non-binary, and uses he, they pronouns, was in attendance at the protest, telling the Daily Beast they felt the special crossed the line. Quote, I actually found myself crying watching this special because it says some very difficult, very painful, very untrue things about who trans people are, Graham said. This special will be used by people to fuel that transphobia that has a very real-world effect for trans people. As soon as I heard that trans employees were speaking out and amazing activists like Ashley Marie Preston were stepping up and organizing this demonstration, I knew that I had to go. Fellow protester Nick Bewick uh, agreed, says, I was angry for days, and I'm a fan of Dave Chappelle. I've been a fan since 2003. I've seen every single one of his episodes. I've seen every single special. Sticks and Stones kind of touched upon a few things, but it didn't really bother me as bad. This seemed gratuitously aimed at us, and it wasn't funny. It was gratuitously mean. It was gratuitously not funny. It was just self-glorification, self-masturbation. I'm rich and famous. Let me spew out all the things that I think, as if he was some sort of messiah. I think he got it twisted. So many people worship him, and he's so out of touch. Yeah, who do you think you are, Dave Chappelle, giving your opinion like that? Who do you think you are? Some, some, some kind of messiah? You must have a messianic complex if you would dare give your opinion or tell jokes at a comedy special. See, I'm trying as hard as I can to picture a professed comedian sitting in his living room watching a Dave Chappelle stand-up special and weeping. And I'm just having trouble conjuring that image. But we have to keep in mind that the, the, that the people in this assembly are, shall we say, special. And so, for example, just to put an image with the lining, let me play a clip of uh, one of the protesters explaining why he or they or whatever showed up on Wednesday. Watch this. 
Yeah, my name is David Huggard. I'm a non-binary individual. I also go by the persona of Eureka O'Hara, which has been debuted on RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, Season 9, 10, All-Star 6, and HBO's We're Here. Okay, can I, uh, first thing you get, can you spell that for me? David, D-A-V-I-D-H-U-G-G-A-R-D, and then Eureka, E-U-R-E-K-A-O-H-A-R-A. Amazing. So, I mean, first thing, I mean, like, why is it so important to be out here today? Yeah, no, it's important to be out here today because we have to stand in solidarity with each other. Obviously, uh, Ashley Marie Preston is a, a great advocate and a huge sister of mine, um, also a trans woman. As a non-binary person, we as trans people and non-binary people aren't getting visibility or respect in the entertainment industry to begin with. And to have something like Dave Chappelle's special not be noted that it's, it's promoting discrimination and hate conversation is very um, hurtful to the activism and the cause that we're trying to progress ourselves in the industry. Well, it's good to see Brian Stelter getting involved in the community. But remember, this is someone we're supposed to listen to and take seriously. Eureka O'Hara deserves our attention and our respect. Also remember, they're not visible enough, even though 14 of them walked around carrying signs for an hour and they made it into the headlines of every major news publication. But still, not visible enough. And we need, to make, we, need, we need to make sure we're not having hate conversations, says Mr. Eureka. So we progressed past hate speech, and now it's hate conversation. Some conversations themselves are hateful. To simply talk about certain subjects is now an act of hate. That's what the activists are trying to tell us. And it explains why they responded violently to a quote-unquote counter-protester who showed up yesterday with a provocative and offensive sign that said, we like Dave, and jokes are funny. That may seem like the most innocuous and innocent statement ever written on a sign in the whole history of signs, but that's not how the LGBT activists viewed it. Let's see how they responded. Now again, remember, the sign says, we like jokes. They're angrily tearing it up. He's got a weapon! He's got a weapon! Oh, do you want me to drop my weapon? Yes. Get in the... There's my weapon. I'm not suppressing anything! I... I'm just here to say that jokes are funny, people. Dave Chappelle, funny guy. I love Dave. I don't know why all the violence. I don't know why all the hate. I just love Dave Chappelle. Okay. So to recap, he stood there peacefully with a sign that said jokes are funny. They accosted him, tore his sign apart, started shouting that he had a weapon, and uh, which is a great thing to do because there are cops all around, and they're shouting he has a weapon. I mean, they, they, you know, as far as they're concerned, they, they'd be fine getting the guy killed. They don't care. And that really is true, by the way. They're shouting he's got a weapon because he's holding the stick that the sign was attached to that they just destroyed. And if a cop pulled out a gun and just shot him there on the spot, they'd be happy. They really would be. And then they got in his face and they tried to shove him, you know, out of the protest. But don't worry, the media made sure to report this incident fairly. Here's Variety. Um, here's their headline. 
At times, the Netflix walkout situation threatened to devolve as counter-protesters pushed against trans speakers. That's the media's framing. Doing everything they can, as always, to earn the enemy of the people moniker that, uh, that Trump gave them. Now, let's think about the privilege on display here. The LGBT people at this protest belong to the most pampered, coddled, uh, celebrated, elevated, and disproportionately visible demographic in America. Some of them apparently also work for Netflix, one of the richest and most powerful corporations in the world. They live in Silicon Valley, employed by a Fortune 500 company. They are applauded and worshipped just for existing. They are the very definition of privilege, and yet they pretend to be victimized over a comedy special. One guy tells one joke they don't like, and it's a national emergency. Everybody can bow before them, lay palms before their feet as they walk, follow them around cheering and fawning over them. And if one person, just one, says anything mildly critical or makes a joke at their expense, they will collapse into a puddle and demand an FBI investigation, and they'll get it. They'll get what they want, because they always do. And that's why the small size of the protest is not an embarrassment for them. I mean, we can make fun of it. We can laugh it off. But they aren't ashamed. Why should they be ashamed? The crowd, uh, the crowd size is, is a symbol of power. The crowd displays its power by being small. Think about it. If you could go by yourself and stand outside of a major corporation's headquarters with a sign demanding that they take some sort of action at your behest, and it worked, and you got what you wanted, would that image of you standing there alone, a crowd of one, be embarrassing? No, quite the opposite. We console ourselves with reassurances that these people are in the minority, and they are. But they run everything, and they get exactly what they want every single time. And it's not so reassuring when you look at it like that. So I hope you can see by now, um, and if you listen to this show, you must see it, because I'm hammering on the point all the time. But I hope you can see that this stuff is not just about gender or sexuality. It's certainly not about Dave Chappelle. What we're living through is a giant social experiment. It's the biggest social experiment in world history. And what the experimenters are trying to find out is this. Can a vocal and powerful minority alter the majority's perception of reality? Not simply influence their opinions or convince them to adopt a new position, but fundamentally change their very perception of reality itself. Primarily by screaming, threatening, and cajoling them. Can the human instinct for self-preservation, the natural desire to avoid confrontation, can these be exploited to such an extent that millions or billions of people can be made to not only tacitly tolerate a bizarre idea, but to actually, over time, believe it themselves? You know, if they, in the minority, act like a statement of basic truth is wildly offensive, dangerous, harmful, it's going to get people killed. If they do that, and they do it often enough. Can they not only convince millions of people to keep quiet, but eventually can they convince those timid masses to really believe that the truth is offensive and that it being offensive makes it somehow not actually true? That's the experiment we're all living through right now. Those are the questions that the social engineers are trying to answer. And so far, sad to say, the answer for many people has been, yes. Now let's get to our five headlines. 
Well, as I'll tell you about in a second, we are stranded here in a, in a hotel in Grand Rapids. And uh, that's a problem because that means it's another night away from uh, my wife and children, but more importantly, my my pillow. Um, you know, it's very hard for me to sleep without my pillow, and that's why if you have not tried a my pillow yet, you've got to try it. You'll get the best sleep of your of your life, and you can get great discounts right now on all my pillow products. That's the good news. If you go to mypillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special, get deep discounts on my pillows, mattress toppers, towels, and so much more. For example, my pillow is offering a buy one get one free offer on Giza Dream bed sheets. They are top quality sheets that you will love. All MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square for buy one, get one free offers on the Giza sheets and use promo code DAILYWIRE at checkout or call 1-800-651-1148. That's MyPillow.com and enter DAILYWIRE or call 1-800-651-1148 and tell them DAILYWIRE sent you. That's 1-800-651-1148. You know, guys, I, uh, I really hate being proved right that's one of the themes of this show. I'm proved right so often, but I, I wish it wasn't this way. Uh, I don't want to be right about the things that I say. I just am. And that happened again this week uh, when I discussed a few days ago, you know, the issue of pilots on planes who, who give their passengers too much information. Remember, I said, you know, you, you don't need to tell us what's going on up there. Just get us from point A to point B. N- none of the people on the plane, none of the passengers, we don't know how it works. Any additional information you give us that, that because, because we lack the base of knowledge to process and understand that information it's just going to add to our anxiety and our fear. So as if to prove me right, as if to illustrate my point, we were at the airport yesterday in Grand Rapids getting ready to leave and head home. But today, as you can see, we're, st- we're still in a hotel. We're still here in Grand Rapids. And that's because the plane broke. Unfortunately, it broke before we, were, we boarded it. Um, and we couldn't get another flight that night because apparently Grand Rapids is in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. And there's one flight coming and leaving per month or something. So we had to cancel the flight entirely. We had to rebook on, an, on another airline for today. And by the way, the only direct flight that we could find was uh, on an airline called Allegiant, which I don't even think I'd ever heard of before yesterday. And so we'll be boarding that flight today. And I made the mistake of looking up Allegiant's safety record this morning. And it's, it's not great, is all I can say. Uh, it's just, it's not good. Allegiant is a, a budget airline below spirit, Okay. Allegiant planes, they don't even have wings. They actually just roll down the windows and they have their passenger, the passengers stick their arms out and flap up and down, you know. It's like the modern version of the Roman galley ship. Flight attendants walk up and down the aisle with whips. Flap faster! Flap! Anyway, um, that's all beside the point. The point is that while we were at the gate, before we rebooked, the gate agent on the intercom got on the intercom and said this, and this is a direct quote, I swear to you, this is what he said. He said, Sorry for the delay, ladies and gentlemen. We're having mechanical issues with the plane. They're going to shut the plane off and turn it back on and hope the issue disappears. That is exactly what he said. As if the plane runs on Windows 98. He might as well have said that, you know, they're going to hit Control-Alt-Delete and just see what happens. Turn it off and back on again? Maybe next pull out the cartridge and blow on it? I don't know. How is that the solution? That's the way I fix all technical issues, but I'm a moron. That can't actually be the way the world works. That can't be what commercial uh, airline pilots do. You're telling me that they're just as confused and mystified as the rest of us? They're looking at the problem and going, I got nothing. I don't know. Just turn it off, turn it on again. We'll see. These planes are up in the air and apparently nobody knows. They're up in the air and no one knows how they got there or what they're doing. that's, That's the way I'm interpreting this. No one has any idea what's going on. 
hope the issue disappears? Wouldn't you want to know where the issue went? And if it's likely to return? Is that what the pilots are doing up in that mysterious little room? The co-pilot says to the pilot, hey, you know, there's a, there's a blinking red light here with a skull and crossbones and it's saying danger, danger. What should we do about it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Turn it off, back on again. Sure, it'll be fine. My God, we're doomed. We are doomed. No, no one, that's, that's the lesson, kids. You have to understand. This, this is, a, this is a, one of the realities of life that you realize as an adult and you're horrified when you realize it, but no one has any idea what they're doing anywhere with anything. Everyone is clueless and we're just walking around blind and that is life. All right. Uh, so speaking of clueless, the State Department has an important message for the people of the earth. And um, here's the message they tweeted out yesterday. It says, today on International Pronouns Day, we share why many people list pronouns on their email and social media profiles. Read more here. And then uh, if you click and it goes to share.america.gov. So this is a government website shared by the uh, State Department. And uh, there's a whole article about, about pronouns. It says, I'll read some of it. It says, in the United States, it's becoming increasingly common for people to share their pronouns. Third-person personal pronouns are used to describe a person or people in English-American grammar as the subject, as the object, or the possessive. These pronouns include the gender-neutral, they, them, theirs, words that traditionally refer to a plural number, but that today are used by some individuals who identify as gender non-binary or who, who prefer not to share gender information. Other pronouns include the feminine she, her, hers, and the masculine he, him, his, some people are pioneering gender-neutral pronouns such as Z, Zer, Zers. This is a government website. This is the State Department putting Z, Zer, Zers out into the world, officially endorsing it. Um, and then uh, I don't need to keep reading this. I can't keep reading it. I'll have I'll, my I'll have an aneurysm if I do. I have to tell you when I when I. When I encounter this kind of this kind of thing, of course, my first reaction is just sheer embarrassment that this is the U.S. State Department ostensibly supposed to represent us, re represent the United States of America, and this is what they're exporting out into the world. And this is what this is this is this is a, a an intentional act. I mean, this goes beyond merely pandering to the left. This is the religion that our government right now is exporting into the world. This is the ideology. It's a religion of self-creation, of self-worship. Um, a, a religion that rejects truth as a category. Rejects truth as a category. Not just ha has a different idea about truth or has a different idea about what is true and what isn't. But rejects it as a tragic as a category. There is no truth. What is truth, as Pontius Pilate said? So in a way, is the Pontius Pilate religion? Now, yeah, what is truth? Hey, the truth is whatever you make it, whatever you decide that it is. And this is what the United States of America. This is what they want the United States of America to represent on Earth. We used to talk about how we wanted the, the U.S. to represent freedom to all the peoples of the earth. Perhaps we should have been more specific. Because now we represent freedom from reality. 
Freedom from truth, freedom from moral decency. Freedom from even biological realities, biological science. Freedom from our own bodies. That's what we represent. But when I see this, along with feeling embarrassed, I also can't can't help but uh, every time it, it makes me mad and angry at the right. I mean, yeah, at the left, but it's it, it's it's fruitless, it's pointless, it's redundant at this point to be angry at the left. Of course I am, but even more so at the right. Because maybe ultimately there was there was nothing we could have done about about this, about this this slide into madness, even if we had all been on the ball about it from the beginning. It may have still ended up this way. I don't know. But the fact is that so many people on the right for years were just whistling past the graveyard with this stuff. And they would say about the pronoun issue, oh, it's just, who cares about that? Just call people what they want. Why, why are you so focused on this? Why are you talking about it? This is a small issue. This is a sideshow. This is a distraction. For years and years, that's what I heard. I don't hear it anymore. I mean, I've been on these issues, as you know, from day one. And for years, the criticism I would get from people on the right is this, these issues don't matter. It, does, it doesn't make a difference. It's, this is superficial. It, this is a phase. It'll go away. Why are, you, why are you paying attention to it? Just don't pay attention to it and it'll go away. Right? Like Jurassic Park with the T-Rex. Don't move. It, it, it's, its vision is based on movement. Stand there still and it will walk past you. For years, that's what I heard. And I don't hear it anymore. Because even the dumbest, most clueless, most oblivious, uh, muddled-brained people on the right, even they, even those, even the ones in that category are starting to see that, oh, wow, this is a big deal. This is a war on truth. I mean, we are marching into total lunacy and madness. And there is no end in sight. And it, oh, it, it actually matters. <laughs> who, who would have thought? But it's kind of too late now. Like if this is your wake-up call that the State Department is celebrating International Pronouns Day and talking about Z, Zim, Zers. You know, if you thought this was a phase and it would just go away, it's a silly childhood thing and it would, you know, and and now, and now the State Department is promoting it. And if this is your wake-up call, let's say it's too late. Uh, okay. From ABC News. It says, silenced by many major platforms, former President Donald Trump is launching his own social media app, Trump Media and Technology Group and Digital World Acquisition Group, which is already listed on the NASDAQ, have entered into a merger to form a new company, chaired by the former president, according to a press release. Trump says the group will form a rival to the liberal media consortium uh, in which uh, its first step will be launching a new social media platform called Truth Social. And truth is all in caps. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be an acronym or something, but a better version will be available to invited guests in November, according to release. Trump said in a statement, we live in a world where the Taliban has a huge presence on Twitter, yet your favorite American president has been silenced. According to the release, the company was formed using a special purpose acquisition company, uh, yada, 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 et cetera. So Truth, Truth Social is going to be the, um, 
going to be the the platform and it'll join you know parlor and gab and some of the other uh alternative social media platforms founded by people on the right now i i don't know if it'll be successful or not i hope it is right i, I think it would be great to have uh to have competition for twitter and facebook and instagram and, and to have a platform where you know there actually is free speech and um, it's not controlled by ideologues on the left and, and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I think it'll be great. So I would root for it, but I'm very skeptical um, about Trump's social media platform. I'm skeptical of all the right wing, you know, social media platforms. And there are three reasons. One is that so far, you know, most of these alternative platforms, there's no innovation. Like, th th there's nothing really interesting happening, technically speaking, with the sites. And you go to it, and the sites look like and they feel like knockoffs. It, 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 this is the problem that on on the on the right, we've had in that we we've had in many areas of the culture where we're trying to come up with responses to what they're doing on the left, but we end up just imitating what they're doing on the left. And, and then, you, you, and then you, the result is something that's it's just, it's not as interesting, it's not as cool to, to, to the average uh, user or someone in the audience. I mean, look at, this has been the fatal flaw of Christian rock music since its inception. That there really isn't any innovation going on. It's just, let's try to sound like that kind of music over there. We're going to base our whole style and everything off of that. We're going to be the, you know, we're going to be the Christian version of that. And so in these right-wing media platforms, social media platforms, I, I guess they go into it saying, let's be the right-wing version of Twitter. And you do that, you're already doomed. Because you're not going to be a better Twitter than Twitter. Twitter's been doing this for over a decade, they've got billions and billions of dollars. They've been extremely successful. You're not going to be a better Twitter than Twitter. You, you have to do something completely different. And um, usually that's not the way it goes. And so it's not a success. The other problem is that, you know, echo chambers are boring. I've used some of these platforms and it's kind of like I'm there. Everybody agrees with me. And it's kind of like, I, I, I guess it's, it's nice to be around people that you agree with, but Especially someone like me, I like to mix it up a little bit. I, I like to know that I'm going to say something and people who don't agree with me are going to see it. And you, t you take that element out of it and it's not nearly as fun. And then, but then the, the third, here's the big thing. This is the big and most important thing. And this is why I say to conservatives, say, oh, I'm done with Twitter. I'm done with Facebook. I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm logging off. And then they, they ask me, why, well, why haven't you, why are you still using it? Well, because... I can use Twitter to try and drive the conversation and to, and to bring attention to issues and to ideas and to things that the media does, wants to bury. So that, that's a function of Twitter. And I've used it that way successfully many times. Many people on the right have. To drive the conversation, to bring things to the forefront that would not be at the forefront. Look at what's happening with school boards across the country right now. You think that this would be happening without, without the, the, the unwitting help of Twitter and Facebook? No, it wouldn't be. 
You think we could have organized a movement like that on, um, you know, Parler or, or one of these right-wing social media platforms? No. Because you're, you're, only, you're with your own people. It doesn't have, doesn't have the same cultural purchase. It's very insular. And so you can do that. You can actually have, talk about social media influencers, you can actually have influence by using these platforms um, and driving cultural conversations. And that just doesn't, you know, there are no influencers on these other right-wing platforms. There isn't. I mean, there, there are influencers who are influencers on, on the major platforms and then they go over there. But those platforms haven't, um, haven't birthed their own influencers. So that's a problem. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, but I think it's important to have those issues in mind and try to address those problems with whatever platform you're trying to develop. All right, so let's go. Where else are we going? Okay, this is great. Um, the WNBA team Chicago Sky won the WNBA championship a few days ago. Now, normally, this is where you might expect that I'm going to make a bunch of jokes about how nobody watches the WNBA and how, you know, I didn't even know that the championship happened or even that the WNBA had championships at all. I figured they probably didn't keep score, you know. But um, I'm not saying that. I'm not going to joke about that and I'm not going to make any comments about the Chicago Sky and how it sounds like a brand of girly $11 wine that they serve at baby showers. I'm I'm not going to make any comments like that. You know, I'm not going to talk about how the dunk contest at the WNBA All-Star Game is more like horseshoes where they score based on who gets the closest. Um, I'm not doing that. Those are jokes I'm not making because I'm not a rude person and I'm not a sexist. And they play their hearts out. And before you claim that nobody goes to the games, consider the fact that most of these players have parents and they have aunts and uncles. And I'm sure their families are supportive and they come to these games. Okay, and that really adds up. So anyway... All that to lead into this. Uh, let's play this. This is uh, footage of the Chicago Cloud Victory Parade. I saw this footage yesterday, and I really felt it's it's the saddest thing I've ever seen. Imagine throwing a parade in the middle of downtown Chicago, and nobody shows up. You, you thought that, that Joe Biden rallies were the saddest thing, but uh, this somehow tops even that. I think Joe Biden could have could have a parade. He could throw a parade, and he would probably get a better turnout. But this is, I'm not making fun of it. This is not me making fun of it. I, I'm, this is me expressing sympathy. I mean, they, this is so sad. They should build a monument in the middle of Chicago to this parade where future generations can come and weep and wail before it. it is a, it's a tragedy. We will all remember the day, October 20th, 2021. Where were you when the Chicago Sky Victory Parade took place and nobody came? Uh, poor, poor ladies. But, you know, you see that kind of turnout. They have a championship. No one even knows the championship championship happened. But WNBA players, they should be paid the same as uh, as, as NBA players. They, sh- they should get the same. This, right? They get, they get 15 people to their games. They got two people at the parade. Both just happen to be walking their dogs, and they, they stopped and looked at it. And they should be paid exactly the same as NBA players. Keep that in mind. Because that, that is, uh, that's what equity and inclusion is all about. All right. Let's, uh, so I wanted to play. I wanted to not play, but I want to show you this as well. This is from Christopher Lamb. He's a Rome correspondent for a uh, media outlet called The Tablet. Uh, reporting on 
a sermon or a speech delivered by Pope Francis. And Pope Francis is, was uh, giving some, some credit, some props to the George Floyd, the BLM protesters. All, always very topical and on the ball is Pope Francis. And so he's chiming in on this, you know, two years later. And he says of the BLM movement in response to George Floyd, where there was rioting and violence all across the country, terrorizing cities for six months. He says, this movement did not pass by on the other side of the road when it saw the injury to human dignity caused by an abuse of power. Yes, the BLM movement is concerned with, the, uh, with protecting the dignity of the human person. That's right, Pope Francis. And that's, what they, that's really what they were standing for, I, I think, is, is human dignity. That's why you, you know, run into a CVS and steal everything you can, run out with an armful of merchandise and burn the place down on your way out. That's, that's your way of saying that human dignity and human life is very important. I really think this Pope's pontificate has been, it's been good and useful in one sense, only in how it's served to sort of symbolize and encapsulate um, all of the problems with the church in modern times. It kind of, it, it all can be boiled down to this. Not that Pope Francis is causing all of those problems because these problems um, predate him. And in many ways, he is a, he, well, he is certainly more a symptom of, of the problems than a cause of them. But he does, he does kind of symbolize that. It's ev- everything that's wrong with the church in, in, in the West, in modern times, with church leadership, hopelessly out of touch, uh, afraid to take real moral stands on issues that matter, N- not at all in, in connection with you know, the lives of real human beings, the people that come and sit in the pews, not concerned about, not, not, not aware of, of, of the issues that these people are dealing with every single day. Now, this is not the case in, in, in every church, but in a great many of them. You know, I've had this experience many times, attending churches all across the country, you know, in many of the states I've visited. And oftentimes you go into those churches and you sit down in the pews and um, it, it, it should be, it should, for, for one thing, be a respite from all of the madness out in the culture because you're coming in there after a week, another week spent in this decaying uh, culture, another week spent as a parent trying to shield your, your kids from the corruption and the perversion um, that, that threatens them and threatens their innocence. And you come in kind of battered and broken and you sit down in the pew and it, it should be for one, a respite and a rest from all of that. And it should be inspiring and motivating, um, preparing you to, to go back to battle, because that's what it is as Christians in the culture. We are, we are in, in a state of constant spiritual battle. And that's not new. I mean, that's, that has always been the case. We've, we've known that. You read it in the Gospels. This is what we're promised, is, is that we will be um, in, in a battle until, until the end times when the battle is finally won and over. And that's the good thing is that we've, we've read the last page of the book. We know how the story ends. But in the meantime, um, it's, it is going to be a real, a real battle. Um, but 
that battle has, has, has taken a, you know, an extra profound, I think, a toll on us in recent times. And we're losing the battle culturally. So we're sort of the guerrilla warriors now. We're not on the, the most powerful side. Uh, we don't have all of these levers of power. So we're more, this is, has become a kind of spiritual guerrilla warfare. And the point is, it, in, in that environment, given what we're dealing with, you go into church and you want to hear the priest or the pastor get up there and you want to know that he understands that that's the environment you are in as the faithful. And you want to hear something that speaks to that and that it's useful and that will equip you spiritually for the next week of battles. And very often you don't hear any of that. You hear uh, something that sounds like, you know, it, 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 at best it sounds like a, a seminar on teamwork that you might hear from an HR representative at your work. Or, or you, you hear more of the madness and lunacy that you already got in the culture. It's not the case everywhere. There are churches where there's, that are certainly an exception, but unfortunately they are an exception. Okay, finally, so Katie Couric has, uh, she's been out, out of the spotlight for, for a while, uh, but apparently she's still alive and, and kicking, which is good. And she's got a book coming out, and it's, I guess it's a tell-all memoir where she throws all of her former colleagues under the bus, which is always a fun time. And she was uh, giving, uh, she, was, she was doing an interview on NBC or ABC or whatever it was. And I thought it was interesting that first she talks about sexism in the news industry and how she, she encountered a lot of sexism and the, the, how, how sexism oppresses and suppresses women and you know, it deprives them of opportunities and everything. So you knew that there was going to be that claim. But then at another point in this interview, and I guess in the book as well, she talks about her own as a woman, her own relationship with her female colleagues and um, how, how, how far she went to help them and uh, apparently not very far at all. Listen to this. Well, let's talk about that because you talked openly about female mentorship. You said you were you had your own insecurities. Mm -hmm. You know, you felt like you had to protect your turf. Those were your words. Yeah. Are you, I mean, do you regret that now? I mean, what's your perspective on it now? You yeah. had said, um, I was less welcoming when charismatic female correspondents entered my sphere. There were only a few coveted spots for women. I felt like I had to protect my turf. Yeah, I mean, I think that's brutally honest, mm -hmm. you know? I think that I have mentored scores of women um, many of who still work on this show and in the control room. Hi, ladies. But, um, you know, I think that when there are very few jobs for women and men are making decisions not necessarily based on, you know, the right criteria, that sometimes you do get insecure and sometimes you do get territorial. I think it's human nature. I think anyone in a high-profile position uh, in a coveted spot. And I think even outside the TV industry, both women and men have felt that occasionally. I just was honest enough to admit it, I think. To, and to be clear, did you ever actively try to sabotage never, another female never, on air correspondent? Never, never. I think I just wish that maybe I had extended myself more and shown people the rope, but ropes a little bit more. But I think when people are outwardly kind of vying for your job, it, it is hard to be generous, I think. I, I love that she she says in the book that, well, you know, I, I didn't really want to help out charismatic and talented females. I felt threatened by them. But I did mentor a lot of other women, like the ones in the control room. Hi, ladies. Of course, saying that, well, they're not charismatic and ta talented, so they didn't threaten me at all. Um, 
But this is, and of course, she tries to disperse the blame out to, and you always love it when people do this. They say, well, yeah, I did this, but everyone does this. Eh, no, not everyone. There are people who are, who are perfectly willing to mentor others and don't feel threatened by everybody else in their industry. That's kind of a you thing. But it, it does show this um, reality that, that does go beyond Katie Couric. But that doesn't often enter the conversation when we talk about the resistance, allegedly, that women face in the corporate world or in media or whatever industry. And we're told that um, they don't get the same opportunities and that they, you know, they have this, this extra, these extra roadblocks that are thrown in front of them. And that is always attributed to sexism, as Katie Kirk does in the book and earlier in the interview. But then she says that she herself, as a woman, felt threatened by other women and didn't want to help them out. Which... You, in honest moments, you hear from women a lot that oftentimes the most resistance and the most hostility that they experience at work is from other women, not from men. But Katie Kirk wants to have it both ways. And she said, yeah, it's sexism, but at the same time, yeah, what it, it's, a, it's a sexist industry. And so I, I guess I made my way to the top and... Uh, I don't want to help anyone else get there. There are only a few spots. That, that's the way she rationalizes it. But I think the truth is pretty obvious. Okay, let's now read the comments. This dictatorship is on its way. Daily cancellations on the law. Never gets old. Those sweet, sweet sounds of the sweet baby getting anthem. It never gets old. Not to me anyway. Gareth says, with Matt traveling so much, I'm extra careful to return my cart just in case he's lurking in the parking lot somewhere. And that's good. That's fear. That's what I want you to feel. I want you to feel like there's a, there is an eye watching over you, an ever watchful eye watching, uh, especially when you're in the parking lot. And you know something there is, even if it's not me. God is watching. He sees every single shopping cart you've ever left in the parking lot. And you will answer for that in this life or the next. So help me God. Uh, Daniel Pack says, Matt, Morning Wire is the only podcast that values your time and the truth. Me, but I'm listening to your podcast right now. Well, yeah, but as, as we've established in many of the ads we do on the show, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. There are better podcasts. The Morning Wire values your time and the truth. I don't value, I value the truth, but I don't value your time. So I don't, I don't have both. I do care about the truth. But your time is not important to me, which is why I'll ramble on, you know, about shopping carts or uh, about urinals for for seventeen minutes. Uh, so there are better podcasts than you can. The, the Jordan, um, the Jordan, the uh, the Jordan Show, my guy Jordan, another another great show that you could listen to. B Cozy says, "I can't believe Matt's talking about ZOCs, zookeepers of color, but ignoring the larger marginalized Bizoc community. I guess that would be Black Indigenous." zookeepers of color. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I should have mentioned them as well. Um, and when you say that, I realize that both BIPOC and BIZOC sound like maybe an antidepressant or a Star Trek character, one or the other. Um, Petuspy says, hair's looking a little rowdy today, Matt. That hotel life is rough, I guess. First of all, stop body shaming. Second of all, um, this is one of the sacrifices I have to make. It's one of the trials and tribulations that I face 
is that I don't, uh, they don't send a stylist and a makeup artist with me. And so I got to make do, I got to rough it much. You know, I, I really feel connected in, in when I'm traveling to the pioneers on the Oregon Trail. Um, uh, the, the, the pioneers, you know, for, forging west, uh, ha- having nothing but their clothes on their back and whatever they could fit into their wagons. And I, I, feel, I, I feel connected to that because I have to travel with no makeup artist, no stylist. It's tough, but I get through it. Um, another comment says, I actually do enjoy the food at Hooters. I know I sound like the guy who said, the guys who say they read Playboy for the articles, but the wings at Hooters are above average. Certainly better than Applebee's or Chili's. Well, you know that I'm not a hater of Applebee's or Chili's. I've said that before. I think um, it's a solid option. You know what you're going to get. I don't have this, this elitist mentality about chain restaurants. However, still, as far as the wings go, Saying Hooters has better wings than Applebee's or Chili's. That's like saying, it's like walking into somebody's apartment and saying, oh, wow, this is way nicer than living in a tent made out of trash bags under a bridge. Um, Daniel says, Matt doesn't realize he's a celebrity now. If I saw him in a bathroom, I'd totally say hi and ask for an autograph. Obviously not before he washed his hands. And then I would um, sue you for sexual harassment because that is sexual harassment. And that, 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 I think, is where we need to go with this conversation as it evolves that um, speaking to another man in a restroom is uh, a form of, I, I think it's a form of sexual harassment. And uh, at least that is how I'm going to interpret it right now, from now on, which really makes it much weirder and more awkward. Uh, Mike says, Matt's missing a trick. The only thing to do with a commercial flight is to sleep through the whole horrible experience. Can't imagine anything more certain to snoozify than an airline info pack. Challenge yourself to get past page three awake. Um, yeah, I can't sleep on planes. I don't understand the people that do that. I can't sleep in airports. I can't sleep. You see people in airports that are sprawled out on the ground. I mean, I was in air- at this Nashville airport the other day on our way here before we got stuck and stranded here. There were people, there, there weren't a lot of seats in the Nashville airport. It's kind of cramped there. And not the greatest airport, I have to say. I like Nashville, but the airport could use some work. And there are people sprawled out just on the ground in the hallway, sleeping. And you, you're going to, you are going to allow yourself to sink into unconsciousness around hordes of strangers, people you don't know. And you're going to have, have your body laying there unconscious. I, I, can't, I can't do that. That, that, re- that requires a certain amount of trust in, in other people who you don't know that I just don't have. And finally, John says, the one time I was sitting in the exit row on a plane, I actually read the info just out of curiosity about what it was. Matt's being self-conscious. Come on, man, grow a pair and stop worrying about people's opinions like a little girl. I, I, think, I think it's the, the other way around. As men, we, you know, this is, this is a, a stereotype, but it's true. We don't, we don't read directions. We don't ask for directions. I mean, that part's, we have GPS now, so we, we don't have shame about asking GPS for directions. But um, as far as re- like reading instructions or assembling something, you get something from Ikea, we, you know, we always say, well, we could just do it ourselves. So that's, that's the way I look at it with the exit row. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but if the plane goes down, first of all, we're all probably going to die anyway, so it will, it will be a non-issue. But if somehow we do survive, I'll figure it out when we're in the moment. And then we'll all die because of that, because I'm unprepared. So that's, that's the way a true man 
approaches this, I think. Well, we know that cryptocurrency has been rapidly increasing in popularity and for good reason. Uh, but if you're like me and you find the whole thing a little bit bewildering and confusing, you don't know where to start, um, well, then you need to get Alto Crypto IRA. With Alto Crypto IRA, you can trade crypto like Bitcoin and avoid or defer the taxes. Get into investing in crypto and do it in a tax advantage retirement account. Alto's Crypto IRA is the easy way to get crypto into an IRA. You can trade all you want without the tax headache and they make it very simple, very easy for you. You create an account in just a few minutes and uh, not a lot of red tape or hoops you got to jump through. You create the account, you can invest with as little as $10. There are no setup fees, nothing like that. You get secure trading 24-7 through Alto's into integration with Coinbase. There are more than 80 coins available, including Bitcoin, uh, Cardano, many other coins. If you want some sushi swap with your Bitcoin, no problem. Alto has that covered. They've got everything you need. So open an Alto crypto IRA account with as little as $10. Just go to altoira.com slash Matt. That's A-L-T-O-I-R-A.com slash Matt. Go to altoira.com slash Matt. And of course, as we were just talking about, you deserve nothing less than the facts with your morning cup of coffee. And we're here to supply them. I'm not here to supply them. Uh, the Morning Wire is here to supply them. Not only has it been topping the Apple and Spotify charts since its release, it's the only daily podcast that values not just the, the truth, but also your time. In and out in 15 minutes, you get everything you need. And while we're working overtime to bring you the news you need to know, we need your help to keep the facts trending towards number one. So subscribe and start listening to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Some of you will not like the daily cancellation today. It's, it's okay if you don't like it. You're banned from the show, of course, if you refuse to applaud everything that I do and say. But we can part ways on, ways on amicable terms, even so. And the reason you might not like it is that today is going to be another case of friendly fire. I have to criticize someone who is ostensibly on my side. And there are those on my side who don't approve of criticism, which is pointed back in this direction. They say that we should all be on the same team and we should focus our critical energy outward, not inward. But anybody who's ever actually been on a team knows that some of the harshest and most useful criticism you'll receive is from your teammates. After all, they're the ones who want you to improve. They have a stake in your improvement. That's the way teams work. A team which refuses to engage in self-criticism is a team that loses. And so I say all of that talking about teams. But the subject of my criticism today is a politician. And I hesitate really to say that any politician is on my team, at least I won't trust that any politician is a real teammate until they've proven it. And after they've proven it, they have to continue to prove it and prove it some more every day. A politician has to earn my trust. And even after they've earned it, I still don't trust them. So with all that in mind, we turn to Michelle Fiore. She's a Republican candidate for governor in Nevada. Now, I don't know anything about Michelle Fiore. She might make a tremendous governor or she might not. I don't know. All I know is what I learned in the ad that I'm about to play. I certainly agree with the positions she lays out in the ad. I like the positions. I hate everything else about the ad. Take a look. I'm Michelle Fiore, and I'm running for governor. I spent my whole life fighting the establishment. I was the first female majority leader in the Nevada Assembly and one of the first electeds to endorse Donald J. Trump. And you better believe I was attacked for it. Washington Post called me a gun-toting calendar girl. And Politico Magazine said that I was the Lady Trump. And I don't care. 
We need outsiders, fighters, not the same old boring, moderate, compromised, blue blazer politicians. Let's start with a three-shot plan. Ban vaccine mandates, ban critical race theory, and stop voter fraud. The Joe Biden administration is coming after me. I'm Michelle Fiore, and I'm ready for the fight. Now, admittedly, it does seem that she keeps abreast of the issues. But aside from that, I mean, this is everything I hate about GOP political ads. It, it's like a greatest hits of Republican cringe. She pulls up with a pickup truck with a Trump 2024 sticker on the back. In fact, she mentions Trump three times in a one minute ad as if her positive feelings about Donald Trump are her primary qualification for the governorship. And then uh, we got the generic twangy guitar riff in the background and she struts through the desert in an extremely impractical red dress and leather jacket combination with a gun strapped to her hip. She hits all the talking points that are about as generic as the guitar riff. Did you know she's an outsider and a fighter and not the same old politician? Fascinating. A truly groundbreaking claim. I mean, this is the first time I've ever heard something like that in a political ad. I should also mention that I've been frozen in a cryogenic vault since 1732. Maybe that's why I've never heard it. Michelle then pulls out, um, you know, the sidearm and shoots some beer bottles. Though noticeably, we don't actually see her hitting the bottles. The camera cuts away right before the trigger press. And at the end, um, her name comes up on the screen in flaming letters in a style that makes you think her last name is Fieri, not Fiori. The idea behind an ad like this, of course, is that it's supposed to make us right-wingers feel like she's one of us. She gets us. She's down with the cause. But instead, it just feels lame as hell. The very epitome of trying too hard. And the ultimate effect is the opposite of what's intended. Rather than feeling like she's one of us, it feels more like she's an outsider. Uh, you know, not in the way she wants us to think she's an outsider. And is trying to sort of ape our style and speech and mannerisms. It feels like she went to Party City and picked up an average Joe or Jane conservative costume. Really, it feels exactly as it is. Like she paid a lot of money to some PR firm so that someone who's never held a gun or been inside a pickup truck could tell her how to connect with people who do live that way based on surveys and other data points. Truly, I can't think of anything less authentic than a political ad that looks and sounds like a truck commercial. Watching it, I half expected her to tell us that she got the highest customer satisfaction award from J.D. Power and Associates. That's how, that's how contrived it all seemed. From the ad, I don't know who the real Michelle Fiore is. All I see is some corny Frankenstein constructed by a focus group. Nothing real here. You might as well cut out all the superfluous stuff and just stand in front of the camera shouting, guns, trucks, freedom, Trump, explosions, Trump, fire, Trump, guitar. That's all the ad contains anyway. The rest is just connective tissue meant to hold all the pandering and bumper sticker sloganeering together. It's cheesy is what I'm trying to say. And it's fake and it's hollow. And worst of all, it's patronizing. This is the kind of ad that I would make if I was running for political office. And if I believe that my voting base was comprised of shallow, dim-witted, easily impressed morons. All gimmick, no substance. Now granted, one can only expect so much from a political advertisement. But the problem is that the all gimmick, no substance thing, that's all we've ever gotten from the GOP as a whole for 30 years. The ad is supposed to make me think that Michelle is different from your average Republican politician, but instead it puts her right in line with all the rest of them. Because this is what they all do. This is what they all give us. If you want to impress me, present something that makes me think you're something more than a pandering puppet who thinks folksiness is an acceptable substitute for authenticity. All of this, and we haven't even mentioned the worst infraction. 
the beer bottles she shot, or someone shot, were still full of beer. At least drink the beer before you destroy the bottles. For God's sake, have some respect. That alone is enough reason, though there are plenty more, to say to Michelle Fiore, unfortunately, you are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Netflix employees walk out to protest Dave Chappelle's special and the media gush over them. Plus, the Biden administration says they've got vaccines for your five-year-old, but your kid will still need to mask. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen.